daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to the start of another week and another episode of Football Social Daily. Transfers are on the top of the agenda for us on today's show. The Premier League's 20 clubs are still fine-tuning their squads and we'll take a look at some potential new arrivals for the likes of Newcastle United, West Ham United and Brighton and Hove Albion. Not only arrivals, but departures too. Jeannie Wijnaldum has left Liverpool this summer to pursue challenges elsewhere and he's arguably fired a parting shot at the Reds claiming he didn't feel loved when he was at Anfield. We'll dissect what the Dutchman has to say shortly, plus we'll take a look into the wonderful and expensive world of football kits. I'm Niall McCorn and all that to come here on today's Football Social Daily in the company of Marley Anderson, who is the glue of the podcast. Not only does he keep everything together, but we also <laughs> can't get rid of him. <laughs> How are you doing, Marley? Uh, some say glue, some say a Japanese knotweed you just can't get rid of. Um, so yeah, <laughs> depending <laughs> on where you go for... And making his Football Social Daily debut today, we've got Aaron from the Talking Kit podcast, which you can find on the Sports Social Podcast Network. How's things, Aaron? I'm good, thank you, guys. I'm uh, very excited to be part of the show today. Yeah, good to have you. Obviously, Talking Kit, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just quickly, and I'm sure we'll come on to it a little bit later as well. What is Talking Kit? Let people know uh, exactly what it is you guys do over on the podcast, which, of course, you can find on the network. Yeah, so... It- Exactly what it says on the tin. It's just free football kit fanatics talking about um, football kits, pretty much. Having a sort of sideway glance on it. Um, but yeah, like you say, we'll probably get into some more detail. It, it runs a bit deeper than that, but that's pretty much what we do. Well, we'll take a look at what we think might be some of the best and worst kits for the upcoming Premier League season a little bit later on in the show. But we're going to start with Liverpool and with Jeannie Wijnaldum, who of course has left Anfield. He's now signed for PSG. This was on the cards for ages, Marley. Liverpool fans knew that Jeannie Wijnaldum was leaving the club because he let his contract expire. He's gone to PSG. But in the fallout of all of that, he's now departed the Premier League for France. He's claimed in several newspapers and in interviews that he didn't feel loved at Anfield. That was, I don't know if that's a direct quote, but that's certainly what's been printed in some of the papers. Does that surprise you that he's, you know, a player who's won the Premier League with Liverpool the first time that they won a title in 30 years? He won the Champions League with Liverpool. He was a pretty key component for Jurgen Klopp in the midfield. And obviously now he's left. But the fact he says he didn't feel loved at Anfield, does that come as a bit of a surprise, do you think? Uh, yes. Yes, I know in, in a way, because I think I think his issue is he wanted to... Well, from, from these sort of quotes and, and what's been reported, it seems like he wanted to be sort of um, revered as as a star and in that team it's always going to be Salah and it's always going to be Van Dijk and, and Alisson and you know the bigger name the bigger fee kind of guys um, you know I mean at, at Newcastle he was he was the, the main man he was the one everybody loved um, and he probably wanted something similar when he was at Liverpool and you know towards the end he probably thought am I getting this um this this love that you know am I underrated am I underappreciated and he probably has a point to be fair because um, he's a better player than than people realise you see him for Holland and you see all the the goals he scores and the attacking play he has and he's played out of position doing a job for his entire Liverpool career because he was never a centre midfielder he was always a number ten and always scoring goals he got fourteen goals in the um, in the the season he left Newcastle when we got relegated. Um, 14 goals in his debut season so that tells you how different a role he played and 
I think after a while, maybe maybe it just was always on like in the back of his head, thinking, you know, do they do they really know what a good player I am? Because if you're playing centre midfield, tackling, winning the ball back, setting up the the so-called better players, the superstars, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of um, it probably just yeah grated on him a little bit, and that's where it's where it's come from. You mentioned the goal scoring there, and in terms of him being sort of remembered as a hero. I think that he's kind of got a bit of a case, Aaron, especially with those two goals, I think two headers he scored against Barcelona in that famous game where Liverpool came from behind on aggregate to win 4-0 at Anfield and that got them through to the Champions League final and they obviously went on to win it. So he certainly should have probably a little bit more respect and I don't know whether a place in Liverpool folklore is a fair thing to say, but Liverpool fans should look back on his time at the club with fond memories, I think. Oh, without a doubt, he's, for me one of the, the best midfielders in the Premier League for the last the, f- the last couple of years. And like you say, I think he is quite an unsung hero in the job that he does and the way he sort of has an vital role in the way that Liverpool have played in the last couple of years. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about Jordan Henderson and Fabinho, but I think Wijnaldum is probably one of the most important cogs. And I think Liverpool fans will probably look back in a couple of years and re- actually realise what a player they actually had. Um, and it's, it's a shame, you know, he feels... His time had to move on, and we've lost a good player in the Premier League. But yeah, I I think in hindsight, in a couple of years, maybe uh, when it does settles and he's he's moved on, Liverpool fans will definitely realise a special talent they had in uh, Junior Wijnaldum. Well, what he's been saying, by the sounds of things, is that because everyone knew that he was letting that deal run out and that he was going to leave at the end of the deal. When Liverpool did lose last season, which they obviously did a fair amount of times, they eventually did get into the Champions League. A great run towards the end of the season and that Alisson header and all the rest of it. They they managed to do what they wanted to do and get into the top four, which is obviously critical for a club like Liverpool. But all things considered, compared to the two campaigns before that, last season was, on the whole, pretty poor for Liverpool compared to what their expectations would have been at the start of the season. And that's what he's been saying, Aaron. He's been saying that he was blamed for defeats because he was the sort of only player who everyone knew was going to leave and he was out of contract and that's why he's getting annoyed. So do you think that there's a case there for him to sort of have a few gripes over the fact that people didn't think that he was given his 100% effort when actually, by all accounts, it sounds like in training and, you know, in matches, he was still giving it everything despite the fact he was leaving? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, if you feel you're giving everything for a club and yet you're becoming a scapegoat for defeats, uh, where other players who could be passengers in games are... Uh, are getting away with it because of the name that they hold, you know, you're bound to have some ill feeling or, you know, maybe, you know, in, in his in his own words, he said, you know, I was playing injured at some points, whereas other play, other players would say to, say to the manager, listen, I can't play, but he, he continued to play, continued to give his all right to the very last. And, you know, if you're not getting that love from the fans or you feel you're being made, made out to be the bad guy, I, I can fully understand why he will walk away from Liverpool, maybe not feeling... Uh, the love that he maybe should have got. Yeah, I think he's got a point, Marley, because you do often see players unwilling to play to almost protect their move. Because if Wijnaldum gets injured, all of a sudden he's not interesting PSG anymore. Because why would PSG sign a player, you know, let's say did a knee or broke his leg, you know, and he's out for 18 months. PSG aren't going to pick him up if that happens. So I certainly think that he's got a bit of a point because you do often see players that know that their deals are running out and they just down tools. Mate, you're telling me I'm, I'm, I support a team when Michael Owen refused to play for us in a relegation battle because he wanted to, <laughs> yeah. uh, he wanted to protect himself a little, little knob. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, yeah. So you don't need to explain to me about about that. You know, Wijnaldum probably, 
you know, the exact opposite of that, I think, you know, um, he would push himself through, through um, the pain barrier at times. And that's what, that's what you want in your squad. You see players, you find out about players when, when they get an injury, I think in some people do anything to play and some people do anything to protect themselves. And I think, you have to um, you have to have at least a mix in your squad. You can't have everyone who's gonna. You're always gonna have people who are gonna, you know, err on the side of caution, sort of thing. But you know, in the, in the Liverpool squad, you look at it and you have got Navi Cater who goes down with a, you know, a slight breeze and he's out for five weeks with a, a thigh injury or something. <laughs> and then you've got Oxley Chamberlain who hasn't been fit for a full, for what probably what twenty five percent of his games over the last five years or something like that. It's like he's always injured. Um, so you need players like him who, who are going to play out of position um, and play, you know, through through the the little knocks and, and niggles and bruises and stuff that he has. So yeah, he's a, he's a top top player. I think he's he'll go down as one of the most underrated players in his time in the Premier League. It's interesting you mentioned Ox because we'll be talking about him a little bit later on in the show because he's been linked with a move to West Ham according to the Express. We'll come on to the latest transfer rumours a bit later but this was one of the most interesting parts of this Vinaldum story if you can call it that for me Marley. You're obviously our social media guy here at Sports Social and he pinpointed Jeannie Vinaldum that social media was particularly bad with the comments after games. And rather than club personnel and teammates kind of pointing the finger at him, even the fans in Anfield, he said, were, were pretty sound. But it was the ones on social media. And some of the comments I've seen, I mean, we've seen this with with Saka and Rashford and Sancho just in the last couple of weeks, the barrage of abuse they got after, uh, you know, a poor penalties in the finals of the Euros. And, you know, he he's the one that's, Vinaldum's come out now and there's another player. And he said, well, actually, it was, it's the social media, which was probably the worst thing about the whole you know leaving at the end of the season and leaving at the end of the deal it leads to this argument for me of the difference between fans that follow the club through a digital platform like social media and fans that actually go to games and it's a it's a can of worms we can open about who is a true fan so I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole but can you see why players do get annoyed because even though they feel respected by teammates and their you know club mates and fans that go to the ground they're always getting that abuse when they get back to the hotel and check their phones on social media so it's almost like there's no escape from it yeah and um and when when you link that with with what we've talked about you know if he feels underrated and undervalued then he goes on twitter and sees you know some some negative comments and and what have you you know that's only going to reinforce the the uh, mindset that he has um so I think it's probably like a a mix, like a, a a bad mix of everything, um that he's that he's come to this sort of conclusion. But you know, social media is is toxic for for footballers. Um, I almost think it's not worth having it because the um, you know, the majority of them have social media managers and and teams that look after it. Um, and you can tell from hundred yards away, you know, whether. A, a tweet is from a player or from a management company. Um, you know, we've seen it with Phil Foden over the uh, over the Champions League last season. You know, with his with his mistake, well, his so called mistake about seeing Mbappe in the final or whatever it is, or the semi finals or whatever it was. So, yeah, it's um, it's almost worth not having it because you know you just it's like a no win situation. So, you know, even even to promote brands and stuff, like it's so obviously not you that fans don't even like interact with it as much. So I I really don't 
sort of see the point almost because it's got to the point where they just think, well, why why would I launch another platform so you can call me a knob like twenty four seven and and it's and worse racially, than that. It racially is, yeah. abuse me yeah. And, and yeah and yeah. you know say go back to the hole you came out of and all this mm. crap. It's just not worth it really. So well, that's what Jamie Carragher was saying, Marley. He tweeted about the whole Vinealdum situation and said, if you don't like the abuse you're getting, just delete the app. But that that I don't think that that's a fair thing to suggest. I mean. Deleting the app doesn't get rid of the people that send him racist tweets. Well, it, it technically it does, but you know they're still there. But I don't know. I'd, I'm not sure about because Carragher, the he sort of had a point in the fact that you know don't read it or you know if you don't want to see it, don't read it. But it's not really a, a realistic solution because you know players are gonna on gonna still have it. Like why should they have to delete their app? But you know. It also Carragher's thing came across as like he he was having a go at Wijnaldum and I just think like he's done a lot for the club like it it just comes back to Wijnaldum's thought process of I'm not appreciated here and then is you know you leave and two weeks later a, a club legend who spat at a child is is having a go at you from his high horse it's like well come on mate you're you're hardly you know whiter than white are you you know what I mean it's yeah it it wound me up a little bit that that comment because he just seemed petty. Um, and the the one thing that sort of goes along with with some Liverpool fans is they are quite petty, and mm. if something's against them, it's like the world against them, and they they act as though as if yeah. you know they're um they're they're so hard done by and all that. So mm. it's that it just sort of reinforces that a little bit as well. I think I'm in agreement with with both you, Marley, and Aaron, because you know with Aaron saying what he said earlier about you know Vinaldum being probably one of the better midfielders we've seen in the Premier League over the last few seasons. I don't think you can argue with that, seeing as Liverpool finished second by a point to City and won the Champions League and won the league the season after. Um, he's been part of that transformation of Liverpool from you know also Rans to challenging for top honours every season. And so what if he asks for more money? Uh, the Liverpool said no, which is fair enough. But Jamie Carragher claiming that, you know, Vinealdum's a little bit bitter because he wasn't offered a better contract. I don't think that's got anything to do with it. I think Vinealdum's well within his rights to go into the, the boardroom or whatever and say, you know, I've been well important to this team over the last couple of seasons. I've won you trophies. I'm one of the key cogs, as Aaron so well put it, and I want some more money. I think I don't think that's any 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 problem with that I, I don't know why Carragher like you say as a club legend is kind of piling on Genie Vinaldum, and it feels like after a guy who's done a fair amount for Liverpool Football Club over the last couple of years has now left he's sort of almost public enemy number one I, I, I did want to touch upon this just very slightly I'm just wondering what you think Aaron if there's a difference between those supporters that go to a match and the other fans that kind of generally take games in on TV or on social media, you know, mainly ones from probably other countries that don't quite get the chance to come to stadiums and watch games? Yeah, I definitely think there is. Uh, being a um, season ticket holder for, for Manchester United, um, you know, I, I'd very rarely um, hear or see, uh, witness any real abuse towards players at the games. You know, you get the, the, the odd... Um, effort in Jeffing or whatever you want to call it when a player does something bad but you know I never see real abuse um, it's always online and I think there is a bit of a disconnect between match going fans and online fans and I just I just think you know it's, it's a lot easier to to throw abuse behind you know a nameless account uh, there's no there's no callback or you know consequence to your, to your actions 
a lot of the time on social media so it's quite easy um and, and you know it, it's it's a hard one to tackle because you know uh, how 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 can you stop it and and it's it's easy for Carragher to say you know to delete the app turn the notifications off because he doesn't receive that abuse he doesn't know the effect it has on a person and you know it, it goes back to Wijnaldum's given his all for Liverpool for for how many years even when he's leaving he's still giving his all you, you can't turn around to Wijnaldum and just say just ignore it because that's that's not tackling the issue and that's you know you don't know you don't know his psyche you don't know his mentality you may know him briefly but you don't you don't know how how bad of an effect it it, it could lead to you know deeper issues uh, for mental health and such so for, for for him to say that and, and you know looking at the the tweet that Carragher sent out and, and what he was sort of um, replying to you know it was it was a very sort of it was a headline from obviously the Liverpool FC news and it, it doesn't really give a, a great description of of what Juan Allen saying he's just saying he, he points the finger that it was social media abuse that led to his exit doesn't mean it was a full reason so for for the character to jump on that and then throw it down to being it was all about money actually doesn't really help and, and you know it leads to to maybe more abuse for Juan Allen when he doesn't really deserve it um, and I just think if, if we all play our part and we all sort of going level-headed with it like Carragher probably should do because he's got a big following and you know he's on he's on Sky or, or whatever I just think you know we could tackle the issue together rather than having it be one side or the other and hope you know you, you hope that down the line there is that sort of acceptance that players are players short career they want to do the best like you say he's entitled to more money because he was one of the better players and and you know we can tackle the issue and it, it, it makes it makes it makes social media a bit more fun for football, Twitter, and stuff like that because sometimes you see it and it's 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 dreadful and and it kind of makes you not want to be involved, but it's part of the beast of of football these days. Mm. Yeah, it's almost part of being a footballer now. Is is you kind of have to? I mean, because they get media training now, don't they? Which they never did even ten or so years ago, really. So it certainly is a changed world. Genie Van Aldem speaking out about Liverpool. He's left the club now. He says he didn't feel loved. Well, that's one transfer out of Liverpool and there could be another transfer out of Liverpool and we'll talk about it next in the rumour wrap here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Niall. I've got Marley and Aaron alongside me. Time to talk Premier League transfer rumours. Of course, it's that time of the year where clubs are trying to get their ducks in order ahead of the new season. And we'll start with this first story from The Express, which revolves around West Ham United, who allegedly want Matez Pereira from West Bromwich Albion, one of the standout players from the relegated clubs last season. The 25-year-old Brazilian, I thought, had a very good season. But if they can't get him, The Express say that Alex oxlade Chamber. Chamberlain is interested in West Ham and they could possibly take him off of Liverpool's hands. So, Marley, I'll put you in Jim Salverson's shoes, who is a West Ham fan. He's on holiday this week, Jim, so he can't answer this question because normally um, he'd be a good person to ask being a Hammers fan. If you had a choice, if you were a West Ham supporter, between Pereira from West Brom or Oxlade Chamberlain from Liverpool, who are you picking and why? Oh, I think that's an easy choice. I'd, I'd easily pick Pereira. Um... Oxford Chamberlain's just you just can't rely on him. You don't know what how many games he's gonna be available for. Um and that's basically what it comes down to. I think, you know, on the days he's he's still a good player, but I think he's still in that transition into centre midfielder. He's not you know, you, you know, years ago he was a winger, um, and he wanted to play in the middle and that's fine, but you know, how many 
how many games has he played as a centre midfielder over the years because of his injury record. It's been so bad that um, you don't really know what his best role is. You can't rely on him to play as a deep-lying midfielder alongside like Suchek or, or Rice or someone like that. And you can't really think, well, he'll be a good number 10 because you've got no proof of it. So it's um, he, he suits Liverpool's 4-3-3 system a little bit better. So if he does get fit and, and, and sort of establish himself as a centre midfielder, then fair enough. But... Pereira, for example, is is you know what you're going to get. He scored 11 goals in a, a poor West Brom team last season. He's got free kicks and uh, dead ball situations. He's very, very good. Fantastic left foot. He's also a lot younger than Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if it's if it's a straight choice, it'll probably cost a similar amount as well because, you know, you've got the English tax on, on Oxlade-Chamberlain that'll probably push his price up upwards of 20 million. So if you can get Pereira for 15 or 20, then... It's it's an absolute no contest in my opinion. Well, Marley's going for Pereira. I wonder what you think, Aaron, because I think there's some good points that Marley makes there. You know, in terms of how much the players will cost, and I think wages-wise, you're probably looking at Oxlade Chamberlain being on a bit more cash than uh, Pereira is. Obviously, Felipe Anderson has left West Ham and gone to Lazio, I think now. So there is a space there for a sort of a, a aggressive attacking midfield player. Um, are you picking Pereira over Oxlade Chamberlain as well? Yeah, I have to go with Marley on that one. For all the points you raised, uh, a nail on the head kind of thing. So, you know, Oxlade Chamber, I think he does need a move from Liverpool. Uh, I kind of compare him a bit to Jesse Lingard in that, you know, he needs to find a home, maybe not so much pressure on him. Yeah. Go, and, go and get some regular football, have a full season in a team. Like you say, if he wants to play centre mid, a team that's going to allow him to do that. Sort of prove himself that he can stay fit, can contribute to a team, get some good games under his belt. You know, because he was in the England team a few, quite a few years back. You know, mm. there was huge pressure on his shoulders, and that's kind of all just dwindled away. You know, due to injuries or just not being able to get in, into that Liverpool team. So a move for him is 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 good, and I think that is something that he needs to look at uh, for his career. But if I, I had to pick between the two, uh, Matthias Pereira definitely for me. Like you say, he was probably West Brom's best player in, in what was a quite a poor season. Um, but no, if you say money-wise, money you know, like I said, it will probably cost the same. Matthias Pereira is probably going to ask for a lot less money, um, which probably suits West Ham a lot. Um, so I would I would definitely pick Pereira over Ox. I think the injuries is probably the key thing that you've both suggested there. And I'd agree with you both as well. I think that, like, like Marley said, you just don't know if you're going to get a full season out of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, whereas Pereira doesn't seem to have those injury worries. So if you're looking at kind of the percentages, um, I think certainly Pereira would be my choice as well. But I agree, Oxlade-Chamberlain probably does need a move away from Liverpool and a club like West Ham um, did wonders for Jesse Lingard, as you mentioned, Aaron. So maybe that could be a good choice. A a club of decent stature like West Ham might be the right option for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. We'll keep a close eye on that one. We'll now move on to this story, which will interest you, Marley. It comes from The Athletic. It's about your club, Newcastle United. And The Athletic suggests that Newcastle will pursue Chelsea's Ross Barkley if they can't get Joe Willock. Obviously, you really like Willock. You had him on loan from Arsenal last season. If you can't get him, do you think Ross Barkley would be good business instead? When, When he was at Villa last season... And he was in that first half of the season. He was fantastic. He was genuinely mm. very, very good. Um, his his partnership with Grealish was was really, really uh, impressive, promising. Um, and mm. he just he got that injury. I think he did he tear a calf or something. It was quite bad. Um, and it just sort of put the put the stop to his to his season. Really, um, it took him ages to get back fit again. He couldn't he couldn't quite 
produce the levels he he once did. But it reminded you that there's a good player in. I mean, Aaron mentioned before about Oxley Chamberlain having having a a sort of similar role to to Lingard in terms of he needs to get out and play. I think Ross Barkley's sat in that boat in the middle of the pair of them because he needs that as well. I think you know he's never going to get his chance at Chelsea. Um, you can say that for about 15 players at Chelsea because they're all just turning up for pre-season and then Tuchel's <laughs> looking at them going, who the hell are you? <laughs> Danny Drinkwater's there with the name tag on at this point, just saying, <laughs> my name is Danny, I am a midfielder. Um, but yeah, he's, um, he's he's just one of them, Barkley. I think he's still got potential. He's still only um, 27. Um, if he came to Newcastle, I wouldn't be... Uh, opposed to it at all, um, but you'd still rather Willock. Oh yeah, I'd still yeah because yeah, it's it's a slightly different position as well. We, we need pace in centre midfield, and, and Willock has that. He has that physicality. Barkley has it as well, but he plays a bit more number ten, like a bit more attacking. Um, I'm not sure our, our unique five at the back system uh, quite gets the best out of a number ten who's maybe gonna um, not quite do as much defensively, but still Barkley is. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to, love to take them both. If we if we've got two loans, um, two loan sort of um, slots. slots, yeah. Um, and you know, Bruce said yesterday that we're waiting for the big six to do their business so we can have their cast-offs, basically. Um, <laughs> and that's that's literally what he said. Honestly, he said we're, we're waiting for the top six to do their business so so we can we can maybe get Willock back. And it's just it's such a depressing man to to listen to. Honestly, that guy, Christ. Um, <laughs> well, talking of Newcastle and being depressing, we're going to slag off your home kit a little bit later on in the show. I think <laughs> I think you've got a few thoughts on that, which we'll come on to. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll we'll come on to it later. We'll I'll yeah we will we will do um uh, on Ross Barkley I thought it was an interesting dynamic Aaron with the England team at the moment that got to the final of the Euros being so young effectively and there are so many young players coming through Foden I mean Rashford's only 23 and Saka still 19 um Mason Mount in his early 20s so in terms of the two players we've kind of spoken about in this section of the show Oxley Chamberlain and Ross Barkley they're kind of two players who five or six years ago would have been England regulars and now they're almost being forced out but they're not even in their 30s yet so you know in terms of Ross Barkley and what his future looks like do you think going to a club like Newcastle will put him sort of back on a, on a platform where he can perform on a regular basis because I don't think he will be getting back into the England side anytime soon but as Marley's mentioned he's certainly capable of uh, of being at that level if he can get a, a run of games and a bit of form going you're spot on there with it it's funny because you know as Marley said there's this sort of free it's all the English midfielders that seem to in the prime that seem to be needing to move and, and prove themselves which is quite funny for players around 27 28 mark Jesse Lingard Oxley Chamberlain and obviously Ross Barkley but you know, like you say, there's a, an amazing crop of English players coming through that we've probably not seen the likes of before for such a, a wide array of players in different positions. And it's only it can only be exciting, but, you know, you've got players of class like Ross, Ross Barkley has the, the quality to be up there and fighting for a place in in the in the England team. You know, we did not even mention sort of James Madison and stuff, players like that as well, you know. So, yeah, Ross Barkley, again, he, he needs that, that proof that he can stay fit can contribute to a team and and be sort of a talisman for a team of of Newcastle stature definitely because you know they they're a massive club and they, and they need to be challenging of you know for Europe at least I, I would say and having a player like Ross Barkley fit 
um, assisting, scoring goals, just being an all-round great presence around the club, I think will lift lift him and give him give him a shot at at maybe getting into the England team. If you, if you had to ask me, I'd probably say he wouldn't get there. I mean, folding and Mount Grealish, uh, 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 probably a cut above him now, um, and and can only improve. Whereas you know you think Ross Barkley's getting to his prime, it probably will only be downhill, but. He can still have a great career. He just needs to make the right choice, keep himself fit and and find a club and find a home. Yeah, I definitely don't think we'll be seeing him play much for Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel next season. But the Athletic suggesting that he could be on his way to Newcastle only if Steve Bruce doesn't get Arsenal's cast-offs. One of those possibly being Joe Willock. Uh, Let's move on to this story now from the Daily Mail. Brighton and Hove Albion are preparing a £20 million bid to take Celtic striker Odson Edward. We've spoken loads of times on the show, particularly last season, Marley, about Brighton's lack of a goal scorer and that really hurting them last season. They only finished a touch above the relegation zone, which is a surprise because they play decent football. We know Odson Edward um, and how good he's been for Celtic over the years. Do you think that Edward is that person to come into the Amex and be that striker that Brighton can rely on. Do you think he's good enough? Is he shown north of the border that he has got Premier League potential, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know what else you have to do in Scotland to get a move, um, to be honest. And in in the grand scheme of things, I'd be a bit annoyed that only Brighton were coming in for me if I was him, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think he's, he's, he's genuinely proved that you know, I think he could could get into like Everton's team or someone like that. You know, as a as a, another option to Calvert Lewin or even Spurs. You know, if if you're thinking about Kane, if he does leave, maybe not to replace him, but certainly mm. a couple of years ago, you know, when they signed Carlos Vinicius and he was useless and celebrated like he won the World Cup when he scored against Marine and they were all plumbers and accountants. Um, <laughs> but he's, he would have been a better option than him, I, I thought at, at that time and. You know, Newcastle have been linked with him a while ago, but we did, we were unwilling to pay any more than four pound fifty and seventeen Greg's wrappers or whatever it was. <laughs> so God knows what what we were doing, but I I think he's been there too long now. I think he's um it's time for him to move. Um, if he can go to Brighton, then then great. You know, just just get into the Premier League, use him as a stepping stone if you have to. Um, mm. you know, prove yourself, and and sooner or later someone will come knocking because. You know, Brighton do the same thing every season. They play pretty little circles, pretty passes, nice little one-twos, and then finish 15th or 14th every year. So mm. that is Brighton. And until they get a goal scorer, that's all they're going to be. Um, I mean, if I yeah. have to sit through another year of watching Neil Morpé try and hit a cow's ass with a banjo, I will not be <laughs> I will not be watching Brighton every week. I'm, they are they're just so frustrating because between the boxes, they're absolutely mint. And then they get, you know, defensively, they're they're okay defensively, but yeah, going forward they're they're just blunt as anything. So yeah, it's um it, they they definitely need to take the take the plunge on someone. And if it's Edward, he's got everything. He's six foot two. He's he's quick. He's got pace. He's got strength. He's he can finish. I don't really know what else. I don't think there's a better option out there that you can go and easily buy than than him. To be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at his record. It's a pretty decent record for just a 23-year-old since his permanent move to Celtic. Is 23? That's so young as well, isn't it? You know, three years and move on. Yeah, since his permanent move to Celtic in 2018, not including the nine goals he scored on loan there the season before, 53 goals in 87 Scottish Premiership games is a very, very good record. And I know the Scottish Premiership leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of quality, but 
that is still a, an excellent goal-scoring record for a striker in the Scottish League. And if you look at Brighton's forward options, Aaron, there's Aaron Connolly, Neil Mopé, who Marley's already mentioned, and of course, Danny Welbeck, who you'll know well being a United season ticket holder. If Edouard does come in, do you think he's better than the three names that I've just read out? Oh, it goes without saying that he's, he's better than all, all three of those put together. Um, I mean, <laughs> like 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 you say, 53 goals in 87 games. It doesn't matter what league you are, you need to be able to find the goal. And as a striker, if you can do that, you deserve, like, like Marley's saying, you deserve a chance at a better league to test yourself. 23 years old, there's not, I don't think there's anything holding him back in Scotland. If you know, Bright, like you say, it's a shame that there's, there's not other clubs looking for him. Uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of teams like I think Burnley could probably do with a, a striker of his stature as well. I think you can find the <laughs> he ball. doesn't deserve that. <laughs> no, well, no, but you know, there is other Premier League teams yeah. <laughs> uh, out there. Um, like you say, even even Newcastle. I know you've got um, Callum Wilson. Um, I, won't, I won't mention the other guy. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> he definitely deserves a shot. At a bigger league to test himself, you know, comes from good pedigree, PSG, um, and he's he say like he scores goals. He's he's better than you know. I, I love Danny Welbeck when he's at United. And again, another player with terrible injury record, just can't keep fit. But you know, he he did score a couple of goals for Brighton uh, last season. Neil Mopé, um, the less said the better, really. Um, gives, gives more penalties away than scores goals, doesn't he? I think <laughs> he's just one of them players, um, isn't he? Where He'll do something and you'll just think, why have you done that? Because it will come back to bite you in the arse. He's done it a few times. Like, um, you know, didn't he have a bit of a fight with Guendouzi in that Arsenal game? And it's just it's just a bit of a nuisance, Neil Mopé. And I don't think he's got the quality to back up his demeanour at times. But Jürgen Lucardi has also signed for Brighton this summer. So I wonder whether he'll be a good foil to Edouard or, or even the striker that they go with as a frontline striker at Brighton next season. But that will do us for the transfer rumours, the rumour app here on Football Social Daily, done and dusted until the next show. But we're going to take a quick break. And after that, we'll be talking kits because the Talking Kit podcast that Aaron is on, uh, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, I'm sure have plenty of thoughts on this season's offerings from Premier League clubs. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Don't forget to hit subscribe and that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. Shows on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at the moment as we wait until the start of the Premier League season on the 13th of August. So just a couple of weeks away now. And once we do go back to the start of the Premier League season, we will have seven days a week's worth of podcasts for you. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss a show because there's no other podcast out there that will do that covering the top flight of English football every single day of the season. Here at Sports Social, Football Social Daily is part of our podcast network and so is Aaron's podcast, Talking Kit. So I was wondering, Aaron, this season we've seen a few clubs release some nice looking kits. Are there any early contenders for you for what you think might be the nicest looking kit ahead of the new season? I mean, Tottenham's, I think, away kit has certainly caught a few people's eye. I wonder what your thoughts are on possible contenders for that. So, one thing for me, I don't know if it makes me sound old or, or what. I'm quite a kit traditionalist, and I like to, you know. <laughs> so for Manchester United, for instance, red, white, red, white, black, and occasionally blue kits for me. Yeah. I don't need pink. I don't need beige. I don't <laughs> need dark green camo. That's Leopard not. Print. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not for me. So the Tottenham one, as much as nice as it is, it's far too 
fas- uh, fashionista for me. It's one Flash, of those sort of flashy. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's nice. It's like a FIFA kit, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, e-football kits. Yeah, the sort of ultimate team kits that you find every season. As nice as it is, so I mean, the Arsenal home one is is very very nice. You know, it harks back to the the sort of early two thousands when Arsenal were actually good. Uh, so maybe they're trying to draw in some inspiration from that. <laughs> um, uh, other than that, there's not loads that stand out. The new, the the Chelsea one with the sort of the weird pattern on it is okay. Uh, Liverpool's is not. I don't like the orange on there. I'm not sure why they've done that. Uh, I didn't like the Manchester United one at first until I saw it sort of in the flesh. It looks a lot better than it it did in the first sort of photos. Um, but in the Premier League, no kit has really blown me away, I would say, other than maybe the, the, the Arsenal. Arsenal and Adidas seem to work really, really well. I think, they, you know, they're, they're harking back, they're doing the sort of retro thing, which they started to do with United at the beginning, and they've kind of gone away from that now, and it's kind of just sort of ambling through the rest of the deal that they've got. But Arsenal, for me, would be, would be my pick. Arsenal always seem to have good kits. I mean, the yellow away kits that they have are classics, aren't they? I mean, every time they produce a yellow away kit it flies off the shelves i'm sure but kits have gone a bit crazy haven't they nowadays i mean you can get fourth and fifth kits some kits that teams don't even play in limited edition kits what would you say about the price of kits though marley because i've seen a few football supporters this season complaining about how expensive it is to buy a football shirt these days i mean you're looking at close to 100 quid for a top nowadays which is a remarkable amount of money yeah it's uh it's a joke it's 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 just like you can't defend it. I mean, seventy quid minimum for a shirt these days. I mean, you know, one of my mates um, just turned thirty today, um, and he's a Liverpool fan, so we bought him a, a Liverpool kit for his for his birthday. Mm. Um, and I, my my missus said to him, "We've got like fifty quid left in the pot. Should we get him a Liverpool kit?" I said, "Good luck," because you're probably not going to get it for that. Um, I said, she says, right, how much is it? I said, well, they've just released a new kit, so it's probably going to be 70. So I logged on to the website, and it was 65, uh, sorry, 70, 69.99 for the for the kit. Hmm. Um, and then the match shirt, which is the, some some other thing they've they've all all clubs have come up with now. You know, the one that the players actually wear on the on the pitch. They they started a hundred quid. I mean, so it was. I think it was 70 quid to get in the shirt, and then. It was. It, they wanted another fourteen quid for um, for printing on the back, mm. and another fiver for a for a patch on the arm. So you're talking ninety quid there, and that's just for the top. So you know we, we got him. We got him the top with nothing on the back in the end. Like we <laughs> just said, so seventy quid's enough. I, when I'm not putting your name and number thirty on the back because it was, I think it was three pound a letter, uh, three pound a number. Sorry. So <laughs> I said he can have his initials and number one on the back if you want, <laughs> and it'll cost uh, still cost nine or ten quid. So. It was, um, yeah, it's it's ridiculous how expensive they are. Now. I feel sorry for for parents um, who have two kids and they both support a certain team and mm. and they want the new kit every year. Because, I mean, when I was a kid, it was it was forty quid for a kit, um, and it was once every for, two for, seasons as well. They changed the kits. Now they change yeah, it every season. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you know, from there to now is is you know worlds apart. So. Um, yeah, I'd like to see them just come down and be more affordable. If you want to see, if you want to see kits on the street and you know people walking around in a Newcastle kit and you know in the on the high street or a Brighton kit or wherever you you might live, you know you want it, you want them you want them accessible and they're just not mm. at the minute like seventy quid. 
you know, for who's got seventy quid for, you know, like disposable money every every month? It's not a it's not a small amount of money really. So it's mm. it's disappointing that the they're, that they're so expensive now. Yeah, I think they're only going to get more expensive as well because you know, like you say, the the demand for for kits now has been absolutely crazy and people do love reminiscing about football shirts why do you think that is Aaron I mean why why do you love football kits so much what is it about kit collection now which has kind of exploded because I mean I guess it's the nostalgia I mean we saw that through the Euros with England fans pulling out their old shirts and oh remember this and remember when Ronaldinho lobbed David Seaman and we got knocked out of the World Cup and is it more about the memories that are attached to the shirts rather than the shirts themselves oh massively you know there's, there's nothing better than looking at certain shirts and remembering for, for, for instance, United when United actually won a league, it's great to look back at kits like that and yeah. and kind of reminisce on those great times. Like I'm lucky enough to own a sort of authentic 1992 Manchester United away shirt, blue with Cantona on the back, which I was lucky enough to get signed by him as well. Brilliant. So just having that in my collection is sort of you know one of the, one of the best thing best things for me because he's he's my favourite player of all time. Mm. Um, but it, it, I think it goes even beyond that. You know, these I think one of the things that I think driving the prices up of of the, these this season's kits or the new kits every year probably drives a lot of fans to go and get go and get the retro kits or go get the replicas and you know the, the certain websites that you can get online and you know there's even a new thing now the mystery the mystery kit clubs and stuff like that they'll yeah. send out a box you don't know what you're getting and for a reasonable price I think it's like thirty five pound and you can you can in some instances you get in the brand new kits from this season in them which is, is amazing for fans and I, I can understand why a lot of people are drawn to it and you know you go on some websites and these kits from last season for £15, £20 and you know obscure ones and and you just you just find yourself I find myself in a wormhole on these websites you should see some of my <laughs> wish lists they're, they're ridiculous and you know clubs I've never heard of but because the kits look nice or you know mm. the, the, the patterns or the just the, the badges or the, the, the sponsors or anything like that and I think it just all adds to sort of this culture of, of football kits and, and being and just yeah. involved in football. And, you you know, I've got kits from third division Brazilian teams I've never even heard <laughs> of, but they look great. And, I, I you know, I like them and, and they cost very little. And, you know, I can understand a lot of people doing that and, and, and wanting to build a massive collection of shirts. We've spoken about some contenders for the nicest kit of next season. So what about the worst kit of next season, Marley? Who do you think has got the worst kit coming up for the season head and why is it Newcastle United <laughs> I, do you know what I don't, I don't think it's that bad I don't, I know, it's not I, really yeah, it's not that bad um, why do, Why are the fans uh, up in arms about the latest Newcastle kit because I've seen a, a fair amount because of people because there's no new bloody players because <laughs> I've seen a fair amount of people on the socials complaining that they don't like the kit or they don't like the branding or it's not very well made or it's too expensive it just seems in general that Toon fans aren't particularly happy with their latest shirt coming up for next season. So why why is that? Um, I don't know. I'd, I've not seen that much about the shirt to be honest. But it's probably just that. Well, number one, it took ages to announce it because it was you know you seen some clubs playing in the new kit in the first game in the last game of last season, like Brighton for example. Um, I think Everton might have as well. But um, we took until. I think it was the um, 8th of July, I think it was. So, it, like, <laughs> we announced it on the 8th and then it was on sale on the 10th or something. And I was on a stag do in Newcastle on the 11th and I seen a lad wearing it when I went to um, 
the, like the, the morning after it came out and I was like, oh, there it is in the flesh. And like there was this lad wearing it and I thought, actually it doesn't look that bad. Um, once you notice the number four on the Newcastle shirt, though, that's the that's the issue. Um, the underneath the collar, because we've got that granddad neck collar, which is which is the worst part of the kit for me. I think if uh, if they had a better collar, just a nice little round round neck collar or a or a little V neck, then it would have been a really really nice kit. But the granddad neck is uh, is awful to be honest. But the rest of the kit is is quite decent. Um, so yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to buy it because it's seventy quid, um, and it's another <laughs> seventy quid to go to Newcastle's. Um, well, into Mike Ashley's pocket, basically. So I'm. I'm not going to buy it. But it's. Mm. Um, yeah, we. I mean, we still haven't released an away kit. I've got no idea what that looks like. Um, <laughs> we haven't. The training. Dips. The training. Yeah. <laughs> the training gear is really nice. To be fair to Castor, who've who've produced it. So um that's that's quite good but even that's like 50 quid a top man it's it's yeah. you know so i'm not going to buy that either so i'll just i'll be, <laughs> be happy with with my old ones you know the um i think the last one the last newcastle kit i bought was the um was two seasons ago where we had the um they did the re-release or the re sort of redesign yeah. of the of the purple the maroon and blue one from from 96 um yeah. and that was fantastic what what a kit that was um, iconic yeah. Newcastle kit I had that mm. when I was a kid as well and I've, I've, I wish I'd kept it I don't I'm probably I've kept it but I don't know where it is um, yeah but that was a stunner with uh, with Newcastle Brown Ale in the middle of it and everything and yeah. all the rest of it so yeah it's um, it's just it's just the nostalgia isn't it of kits that, that yeah. you love so it's uh, that's why you'd buy older kits rather than newer kits I think and also from a business perspective I mean the free marketing that shirt sponsors get now for instance, back in the day, Sharp used to sponsor Manchester United and, you know, they're still getting loads of almost free traction and marketing from people pulling out these retro shirts and you see new shirts reimagined with old sponsors. I mean, Newcastle Brown Nail is a brilliant example because that is a time when, you know, Newcastle were one of the better teams in the Premier League and that will always be an era associated with that brand, even if no one drinks Newcastle Brown Ale. You know, for oh, them from do. a business perspective, <laughs> I know they do, they definitely do in the Northeast. But I mean, in, from a business perspective, I mean, that's ideal for them because they're getting free marketing almost every season with these kit reissues and stuff like that. So um, it is a crazy world for football kits at the moment. Obviously, you can find out more on Aaron's podcast, Talking Kit. Tell us a little bit about the show, Aaron. You mentioned that you're just three lads who absolutely love kits. Yeah, so it's myself. Um, we're actually all cousins, so it's me, James, and Sean. Um, and we've, you know, come up together, loving football, loving football kits, the nostalgia, like we say. And we just kind of look at it from a different perspective. So, you know, we have certain features on there. One of them is... Um, Desert Island kits, um, <laughs> and we just asked for your favourite home shirt, away shirt, and third shirt, which you would take to a desert island. Um, you know, guests that come on, we've we've all done one ourselves. Um, and we just look at certain players that have worn kits, what what kind of kits they've worn. We've looked at David James um, and sort sort of Slatan and stuff like that because they've all worn a lot of kits. Mm. And it's just it's just having a love a look at, at football kits and what they mean to you and and you know kind of what inspires you to to be a football kit fanatic as well really that's kind of what we we try to strive for 
Great stuff. You can find Talking Kit on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just go to the Sports Social website, sport-social.co.uk. Click the Network tab and there's loads of great shows on there, including Football Social Daily, Talking Kit. There's the official British Speedway podcast, if Speedway's your bag, darts, shows, even a wrestling podcast, something for the sport lover on there, I'm sure. But that'll do us for today's show. We'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily.